Hi, everybody, and welcome to another episode of Flipping the Script with Suzanne. Every podcast, we bring you unscripted, authentic, uncensored conversation of what it takes to thrive as a creative in this changing world. Grab a pen and paper, put in your earbuds, and a cup of coffee if that floats your boat, and let's get ready to turn to the next chapter. Hello, everybody, and welcome back to Flipping the Script with Suzanne. I am jonesed and super excited to have this amazing man on the call today. So let me tell you a little bit about him before we dive right in. His name is Jordan Woods Robinson with a hyphen. He's an award-winning actor, musician, and coach, and is best known for The Walking Dead, we all know that one, Homeland, Nashville, and as a member of the prestigious Blue Man Group, with a BFA with honors from NYU's Tisch School of the Arts. His physically-based theatrical training has led to chameleon-like film and TV roles opposite Anthony Hopkins, Colin Farrell, Claire Danes, Octavia Spencer, oh my gosh, and so many more, all of which, by the way, were cast from his book from Tape Studios. Jordan is an acting coach and translates his unique theatrical training by empowering actors to get into their bodies and out of their heads and to trust their impulses to make bold choices that make a lasting impression with every audition and performance. My goodness. I know. You just made that sound so good. (laughs) I'm over here being like, man, that's too much text for my bio. And then you're like, no, I'll make this work. I'm an actor. Oh, gosh. Yeah, this is, I guess, give me more. (laughs) (laughs) Hi, Jordan. Thank you for having me. Oh, my gosh. Are you kidding me? I mean, it's just... Oh, you're my th- uh, you're my third guest. <laughs> you're, and, you're my third favorite person to have on the th- podcast. <laughs> <laughs> you're number three. Woo woo! That's really awesome. No, no, I love podcasts. I love listening to podcasts. I love geeking out over this stuff. Um, and I love that you have a podcast, and you're such a cool, creative person. And I'm happy to be here. So throw it at me. Let's go. All for right, it. all right. So I'm going to ask you a question. What's it like to be blue? Okay. So Blue Man was my dream job and in many ways still is my dream job. It was, uh, it was one of those shows I saw for the first time when I was 16 and I was visiting New York and I I grew up in Tennessee and I was there and a friend of mine, Caitlin took me to see Blue Man Group and, uh, and it was in the, the Astor Place Theater, which seats like 300 people. It kind of feels like you're going into this alley between two other buildings. And I saw it and I just instantly loved it and I wanted to be a part of it. Um, and that directly influenced how I studied in school, how I, how I approached the whole, you know, the, the training of it all, um, and I've realized since then that I didn't have these words for it at the time, but like in many ways I had set a five-year goal for myself where I was like, I want to be a part of that. And the thing about a five-year goal, there's, you know, there's, I, I don't do this all the time, but it did work out because moving through those five years, anytime I found myself at a crossroads of like, okay, what do I do next? If one of those roads more directly lent itself to Blue Man Group, then I chose that path. And I would go down that direction and I would say, okay, cool. I'm going to study if I have the offering of, you know, studying physical theater versus like script analysis, I'm going to study physical theater. If I have the opportunity to, uh, to study, uh, music over a language, I'm going to study music. And so it, 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 it ultimately manifested itself. But anyway, being blue was really awesome. Um, I did it for 13 years. I started in New York, then I went to Vegas. Uh, and then I moved to Orlando, which is where I am now. 
And uh, yeah, I left the show in March of 2020. Oh my up. gosh, that's like that's just a couple of years ago. Yeah, yeah, and actually, so I actually left in January of 2020, and then COVID hit in March, and then the show shut down, and uh, and so I was planning on being able to go back, but years passed, and the shows have reopened, and uh, the the company is such an amazing family that. I could call up any moment probably and say like, Hey, can I come back? You know? Um, but I've been kind of busy. So I'm yeah. that moment. <laughs> You've been really busy, but oh my gosh. So you did it. I love that. I, I wish I was smart like that when I was younger because I, I didn't think of, I didn't think of being an actor. I didn't, it mm-hmm. wasn't something that I just, I kind of tooled around and played around with it. And I was kind of just led into it by, I, I I couldn't get into the College of Education because my grade point average was so bad ah. from Ohio State University. It's a big party school. You're like, so I'll be an artist. <laughs> <laughs> so I, I drank my way through the first two years, you know, okay. lots okay. of beers and stuff. But point being, my, my husband said, well, what do you want to do? I said, I want to be an actor. So he got me acting classes. And that's how I got started with that. And was like, oh, oh, this is kind of fun. This yeah. feels good. And then I went back to college and got my degree. But I had an agent before I got my degree. Oh, oh. yeah. So it was yeah. kind of you know back, and I started working tremendously. But I love what you did. You saw something. You're like Blue Man Group, man. That looks like a really cool thing. Okay, how do I make that happen? Yeah, I love that. I just got big yeah. chills because yeah. it's kind of where I am in my career now. Going okay, just taking a step back and say, okay, what is really the goal? Mm-hmm. What do you really, really want? And, and it's okay when you're older, like I'm 56. Well, huh, you know, I'll say it. Uh-huh. I'm older and, and you're never too old, but it's like, okay, where do you want to go now? What is your next step? Yeah. And, uh, and I did take a step back and say, okay, this is my goal. This yeah. is what I want. I went, mm, you are not ready for that. How do you get ready? Yeah. I joined your book from tape master program. Yes. Uh, yes. Because anybody listening to this, especially if you are in the Florida market. Don't buy into the mindset that you're never going to work because you're in Florida. Mm-hmm. Because we can work. You are a testament my, to that. My entire film and TV career, I never did any film and TV until I moved to Florida. And so everything on my resume with mm-hmm. recurring guest stars and leads and award-winning short films and co-stars and all that other stuff recurring have all been booked while I was living in Orlando. Yeah. Okay. And, and yes, we- you have to travel outside. You have to be ready. Sure. To like, there's a yeah. huge incentive in Georgia. There's productions all the way uh, from Nashville, Tennessee, all the way down to Key West, Florida. There's productions everywhere, mm-hmm. um, all at different, you know, uh, some are union, some are non-union, some are commercial, some are, you know, industrial, whatever. You, but there is work to do. And yeah, as long as you're ready to travel, as long as you're, which if if you were in theater, it wouldn't be much different. Your job as an artist and an actor is often to be nomadic. And you say, yes, I live here, but I booked this job and I'm going to be on tour for the next six months. Or mm-hmm. I booked this job, but I'm going out to do a Ren fair in Colorado for two weeks, whatever. You know, oftentimes we are nomadic and it's just in the film and TV world that the that film and TV what you're pursuing right now, the project that is your goal might not be directly in your backyard, but it is still achievable no matter where you live. You can mm-hmm. still tackle that. Yeah. Yeah. And you just have to stay prepared. 
right? Mm-hmm. You have to always be coaching and training. And I'll admit it, I started to sit back a little bit on my luck, right? I mean, what is luck, right? Opportunity meets preparation. Mm-hmm. And so I started to sit back a little bit and go, oh, this is this is kind of it's been going well, you know, who's I'm working during COVID and, and I'm getting, you know, auditions for some of the bigger projects and I'm just going to like, I'll take a break from training. And yeah. then now that everything gets kind of quiet, you, you have to stay plugged in because it, it can be, de- it can be depressing. It can be depressing. If you are, you're trained and you have your goals, but you're not plugged into something that keeps the fire going then it's easy to have it take you off course completely. Yeah. Completely. So let's talk a little bit about your journey from being the blue man into a career as an actor and a sure. very successful one. And I will say successful because it's measured in many different ways, right? Yeah, yeah. It's it's measured in many different ways. Some people might think, well, success is because you reached a certain level of um, achievement or a certain dollar amount, or you're being recognized, whatever that might be, it's individual to each person. So when you made the transition from blue man to successful working actor, uh, coach, and and all the other stuff we'll get into, how did you make the transition? Did you already have an agent or did you at that point decide it's time for me to start looking for a good one? How did you do that? Okay, so timeline-wise, here's how it worked out. Uh, I moved to Orlando with Blue Man Group, um, and there's lots of different ways to tackle this. So there's, I've got, I'll probably jump around. I I have self-diagnosed ADHD, so mm, I'm sure okay. I'll, I'll I'll work all the way around. And who knows, I might whatever. Um, it doesn't matter. <laughs> it's still perfect. Uh, I moved to Orlando, and my girlfriend at the time, wife now, said, "Hey, turns out there's like a film and TV scene here." And I was like, "Cool." And she said, "Yeah, I think I'm going to start to submit to some film and TV agents. Maybe I can pick up some commercials or some stuff." And I was like. Yeah, okay, I guess I'll I'll do that with you. Why not? And so we started submitting to agents and uh um when I submitted, I didn't have any film credits on my resume. Uh did I but I had NYU. And so that that at least allowed me to get my foot in the door and to like have some meetings and to meet with people and I booked two agents out of that. Um out of out of my first initial meetings here. Uh and but each of them said, "Great, we're going to represent you, but we need you to go book some student films. We need you to go work on some stuff because in order, and I didn't understand this at the time, but now I know that they were saying on actors access, we need to have footage of you that we can show to other people. And we need you to have those credits on your resume so that people trust you with these on camera projects that we're submitting you for. Right. But they just told me, go out and get some experience. So I went out, I started, uh, doing some open calls at UCF and Full Sail, a couple of the the colleges here mm-hmm. in Orlando. Um, from that, I booked um, a few short films, um, and I got some on set experience. And then, but the 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 real thing that happened is that I think by me going out and hustling and being that person who was ready to work, plus being that person who so I'm, I'm holding my fingers up for anyone who can't see this, but like one was, I got the, I had the, uh, I, I had the, I was getting on camera experience. Secondly, I had four years of a private good school experience, you know, a conservatory type program, uh, under my belt. And thirdly, I was already a working actor, which served me in two ways. One, I was working my muscle at blue man group every single night. Well, right. you know, five nights a week. And then, 
I was also, and this is a big one, I had financial stability as an actor, and so I wasn't desperate. I wasn't feeling like I had to prove myself. I wasn't feeling like I, I knew I had time. I knew I had grace. And I knew that the first three things that I booked, and I'll tell you, sorry, I'm just jumping all around, but actually I'll tell you the first thing that I booked um, was a show called army wives uh, on lifetime and Richard Futch. Mm -hmm. Uh, And the way that I booked that, well, there's a couple of ways that I booked that. Okay. Get ready. One, Richard had come to Orlando like a month prior, and he's he's friends with my agent, Tracy Danielle, uh, at Brevard Talent Group. And they had uh and he had come down and had met with some of her actors. And so I went in and I just did a I just did like a, a cold call. It wasn't an audition, it was just like, hey, show up. I think really, you know, and if Richard were here, he'd agree. It was a way of him getting to write off his trip. He gets to go. He gets to go to Orlando <laughs> on vacation. He does a couple. Oh, meetings nobody does that. No, yeah. nobody comes to Florida, to Florida. <laughs> right? No, but great. But it benefited me. So I went in there and I did an audition, and he was impressed by that. What that turned into is that a month later, he sends an audition to Tracy and says, "I've got this part that's great for Jordan. I'd love for you to. I'd love for him to read for this." I auditioned for it. It went pretty dang well. We, yeah. we self-taped it. It was back in the days of like early, early self-tapes. And we sent it off. I learned later that Richard had to fight so hard for me to get that role. Not because I wasn't the right person, but because the producers, it was a large enough role. It was a guest star. They were looking for people in L.A. They were looking for people in New York. And when Richard came to them and said, hey, I found your guy, they said, where is he? And he said, he's in Orlando. And they wouldn't watch the tape because I was in Orlando. And then they kept looking, kept looking, kept looking, kept looking, and they were getting frustrated. And then Richard kept coming back and saying, I have your guy. Wow. And they said, okay, show us the tape. And then he, they watched the tape and they said, yeah, that's him. Bring him in. And Richard, <laughs> why, didn't, why didn't you show him to us before? <laughs> yeah, exactly. It was that kind of conversation. And he was like, so it was, that was one of the first times where I learned that like, you can make it from anywhere, but your zip code is definitely a factor in this, that it it might become a little bit challenging. You might have to prove yourself. You might have to have that much more training or that much more clout or that much more uh, on your resume in order to turn those heads if you are living at certain locations. You can do it, but it might just take just a little bit more coaxing. Um, So anyway, I booked it. But going back to what I was originally saying is that I was so, I had so much flexibility and uh, I wasn't desperate to book things that when my agent reached out to me and I, this is my first ever, ever sag after a project, I booked it. And my agent calls me up and goes, Hey honey, congratulations. You booked it. And I go, yeah. And she's like, you don't sound, <laughs> you don't sound excited. And I was like, well, I mean, I, I knew I was going to book it. So what do I need to do next? Oh my gosh. And I, like, listen, <laughs> listen to that, that na- naivete, that, that, <laughs> <laughs> that confidence, that a little bit of stubbornness is in there, right? Yeah. But I had that because I had the training and because I didn't know how, quote unquote, the industry worked. I said, no, I'm the right person for the job. And that allowed, and I didn't have to worry about if I, if I had, uh, if I was going to make money off of this or not. I was like, no, I'm, I am the right person. So what do I do? I, am I going to drive up there? Do I need to fly up? And it was just it was looking back on it now. I'm like, oh, my God, I can't believe I did that. But I think that I, I tell actors all the time to embrace your naivete, because one thing that comes into this industry is that 
I have a I have I have a theory that the death of impulse is knowledge. And I was talking to another actor or another coach, and the coach said, "That's funny because I always thought the death of impulse was fear." And I said, "Yeah, but you don't have fear without knowledge. If we if if we know how something quote unquote is supposed to happen, how something should happen, mm-hmm. what the quote unquote right answer is, we will start making decisions wanting to serve that, wanting to provide the right answer. And ultimately, that's fear-based, right? We're wanting to prove ourselves. We're wanting to get that gold star. As opposed to what I did in the situation was I didn't know any of that stuff. I was naive. I was young and dumb and trained and impulsive, and I just did what I had to do. And I look back at so many things in my career of transitioning from theater into film and TV that I look back on it now, I'm like, oh my god, I can't believe I, I can't believe I did that. I never would have done that if I if, like if I knew what known. if I'd known. Yeah. I can't believe I made that choice. But that choice is exactly what helped me book the job. But I think that's what gets in people's way. It's like it's, knowledge is power, right? Mm-hmm. But sometimes it can be what trips you up mm-hmm. because your perception of that knowledge is like, oh, okay, so my perception of I live in this market, the other market is busier, so my perception is it's going to be harder for me. My perception is they're not going to want to see me without the right agent. My perception is I don't have the strongest materials. And all of that will start to create the self-doubt and and, and fear. And so your decisions are based on fear. Mm -hmm. And that blocks everything. Mm -hmm. Uh, And I remember when I first went to New York, and it was that naivete. It was back when they used to have the backstage is a book. It was a paper book. Mm-hmm. And this is back in the nineties, whatever. And it, it says in there, you know, don't phone, don't phone, don't call, don't text, none of that stuff. I shared this in my first podcast. I won't bore t- people too much, but I was like, well, what's the worst that could happen? Yeah. No. Yeah. So, yeah. so I did it. And, and I had an agent saying, oh, you will be blackballed. And I'm like, well, what does that mean? So I hung up the phone and I made the next phone call. And <laughs> <laughs> so, and I got into a B agency. Yeah. And I was just like on VHS tapes. And I, I, I knew one of his talent and I knew that we looked a lot alike. And yeah. I knew that at some point her contracts are up for negotiation. So I just flat out told him, hey, if she's not going to negotiate, I'll come in at a lower rate. You can replace nice. her. Nice. <laughs> and he's like... Okay. And he signed me on. (laughs) And and then when I went to LA, it was like that, that bugs, like told my husband, I said, I really got to give LA a try. I've got to give it a try. And so I had did the same thing. I submitted and I ended up getting a call from an agent saying we're interested. And she didn't know I was in LA. Mm -hmm. And I said, great. Um, when do you want to meet? And she said, how about on Tuesday? So this was like I don't know, Thursday or Friday of the week before. And I went, okay, I'll see you on Tuesday. I was like in Florida (laughs) and I went, oh crap, I got to get, this was so funny. I got to get a flight. I got to get a hotel room. So my husband scrambled really quick. We got everything together. I got on a flight. He got me a a hotel with (laughs) hotels.com. I get in Dallas in the over, in in the layover and he calls and he said, the hotel doesn't have a room for you. Uh And I said, what? And he's like, yeah, they said that they never got the reservation. I'm going, well, where am I going to stay? Well, they felt so bad. They're going to put you in a suite at a hotel on Melrose Place. <laughs> I was like, bonus. I sat down and had drinks in a bar with Mel Gibson's agent. 
Nice. Yeah, I know, right? Yeah. And and then I started like knocking on doors and they have like two doors. You have to ring a bell. You've got to do all these different things. And I'm walking down by the beach and I walked in, I, I followed some agent's address and I went down this alley to this like little villa on the ocean. Mm-hmm. I opened up the door. Jennifer's Aniston's photos were up there, like all these A-listers. And I popped in and I said, hey. And he goes, hey, uh, can I help you? Older man. And I said, yeah, I'm actually new to the LA market. And I just thought I'd introduce myself. And I looked up at the wall and I went, well, they're a little ahead of me, but <laughs> he was so funny. And he said, you know what? He smiled and he said that um, you, you have you have guts. Go for yeah. it. Yeah. I did the same thing with Halle Berry's agent. <laughs> and when I dropped my headshot off, I said, hey, you either want me or if you don't. If you don't, just put it in the cylindrical file, which is the trash, right? Mm-hmm. So they called me back and they were like, well, no, but you can come back and get your headshot. And it's like, that's okay. But I did get an agent. Yeah. Wow. I did. And I turned it down. Okay. Okay. <laughs> because, because of this. I love the chase. Mm-hmm. And I wanted to know, don't tell me I can't do something. Yeah. I'm just going to go do it. What do I know? Yeah. yeah. Right? And yeah. I didn't want to raise my son out in, in LA at the time. So, yeah. but- I- and Long. are there ways that you could have shot yourself in the foot? Absolutely. Absolutely. And but I have a story and I've proved to myself, yeah. if you want something, don't get in your head about it. Follow your gut, follow yeah. your instincts, yeah. and then follow the next best step. You never yeah. know where it's going to lead. Now it's a great story, but <laughs> but, um, but it's- It's a, better it's, to ask permission than it is to ask forgiveness in so many- Yeah. It, as long as you're not- an asshole about it. Yeah. Right? Don't don't be the one who's going into don't go in knocking down doors just mm-hmm. to be the person knocking down doors. But if you have that intuition, if you have that gut instinct, if you have that confidence, if you have that if you have something of value to offer and as long as you're not taking up that other person's livelihood by mm. providing part of your own, then yeah, you're adding value. Right. You're you're following your gut. And I I think I I see as a coach, I see people coming in with that instinct all the time. And I try to I here's here's the difficult conversation that comes out of that. Now being on the other side of that, I work with actors who I'm like, God, you're like me. You come in and you are full of yourself and you're never going to learn because you're going to book stuff and people are going to give you opportunities. And you're always going to think that you're, you know, that you're the best and whatever. And then you're going to come crashing down really hard when you don't book something and then you're going to doubt yourself. And then all of this new stuff is going to pop up. Um, and so what I, what I end up saying to them and what I hopefully, uh, impart on them that they walk away with is I try to just preface it beforehand. And I say, I do have stuff to offer you. I am going to offer you parameters. I am going to teach you tools. I am going to, uh, to guide you through some of this stuff and take it all as an opinion. Yeah. Right. Right. Everyone in the industry, no one's trying to screw you over. I'm not trying to screw you over. I am looking to add value. I am looking to, to give you answers so that you can better make informed decisions as you move forward. Mm-hmm. However, If you start to make those decisions just because you think someone told you that you have to make those decisions, then you're not serving yourself anymore. You're not being true to yourself. And ultimately, you're just going to we you're going to weaken that muscle of of trusting yourself. And so that's why I say, like, I'm going to give you lots of stuff, but don't lose 
this naivete while you're in it. I'm going to tell you what the rules are, quote unquote, and what the rules are not, quote unquote. But it's your job to go through and to continue to bend or break or tweak those rules. Not because you're being an asshole, not because you are looking to mess with the system just to mess with the system. No, that's going to get you blacklisted. Right. But if you go in and you have an idea that, yes, it breaks this rule, but I have to do it because this is the right thing to do. When now, you say break this rule, do you mean in, in terms of your approach to acting or do you mean in terms of building relationships or what do you mean by breaking those rules? I don't know. I think that's a, that's a great question. And I'll, I will, I think it has something to do with, uh, all of the above actually, <laughs> just like in general, there might be certain rules that mm. are put in front of you that, that, you know, you're not supposed to cross that line, but you're going to anyway. And I'm going to, I'm going to put this. I'm going to weave this back to us listening to a podcast um, called Hidden Brain by Shankar Vedantam on uh, – it used to be on NPR, but I think he's his own thing now. Anyway, Hidden Brain, he was talking about rebels and about how society needs rebels. Right. Society needs people to step away from the status quo. That is, that is how – that is literally inventors – Innovation comes from rebels. Mm -hmm. uh, any company that disrupts what we think we know about how we live in society is a rebel. And here's the thing. And they said, you know, uh, and to say what I was saying before, like a rebel does not screw with something just to screw with it. A rebel screws with something because they know that there is something better on the other side. That is a rebel, right? You're not doing, you're doing it to fight for somebody. Mm-hmm. You're doing it to fight. And as an actor and as a, as a coach, I continue to fight for the actors because I think there are lots of times, and this is, I'm not, we're not pointing any fingers and there, it's, it's, it's a systemic thing, but there are lots of times where actors and sometimes rightly so are like, just stand there and just say the words, right? I don't, I don't need your, I don't need you to be a genius. I just need to stand there and say the words, right? Mm -hmm. um, and that happens. And that starts to filter into other things like self tapes and some other stuff. But Ultimately, the the people who do rise to the top are the ones who said, yeah, yeah, no, I know that's what I'm supposed to do. But this instance, I had this really great idea. I have mm -hmm. to show you this. Mm -hmm. I'm going to share this with you. Right. Mm -hmm. That's the rebel, the person who's not afraid. And this is another thing that happened in the podcast is they said that actively being a, re a rebel is a really pronounced form of vulnerability. And here's why. No one is a rebel just to be like. I'm going to mess with stuff. It is. It takes vulnerability to be a rebel because everyone in the world, everyone in society is standing behind this yellow line. And there's a the big safety line, line, right? It's yeah, like a safety a line. Here yeah. says, don't cross this yellow don't line. Don't cross it. Uh-uh. Do it, mm -hmm. right? And that rebel will stay behind that yellow line until they know that there there's a reason why they have to cross that yellow line. It is going to serve the other people if they cross this yellow line. And when they cross that yellow line, they know that everyone is watching them. Mm -hmm. And that takes vulnerability. It's a different version of vulnerability, but it takes vulnerability to say, okay, everyone is looking at me and yet I still have to do this. Right. That's exactly why I, I created this. Uh, and, and this is why I think a lot of times why when we have downtime in our industry, mm -hmm. there's a reason for it. Mm -hmm. I'm a firm believer in 
being always aligned with what my soul's purpose is mm-hmm. and what the universe brings to me. It's like, okay, nothing is, nothing is a coincidence and by chance. Um, so when I had the downtime and I, I spend so much time in, in meditation and journaling and doing the things that I do for my own spiritual growth, when the name for this podcast came up, I really knew that what I had to do was do something that a lot of people don't want to talk about is what are you doing when you're not working? Mm-hmm. How are you surviving? How are you surviving emotionally, mm-hmm. spiritually, physically when you're not booking? And I went, oh, well, now I know why I'm not booking because I'm supposed to be doing this, yeah. which is okay. So it is like that idea of stepping over the line going, okay, well, I'm going to talk about, I'm going to talk about astrology is going to come into it because I love it. I've learned so much. Yeah. I'm going to talk about uh, all the different tools that I use that help me to stay constantly connected to my soul. Because yeah. if I disconnect, I'm not authentic and I'm not grounded and I'm not present as an actor. Yeah. So that's, it is to me, this is like stepping over the line and that might be, oh, well, she may be kind of this woo-woo person. It's like, so then you don't get me. Yeah. That's so cool because all of they will. And, and, and that's okay. Because at the end of the day, when you put your head down for your very last breath, you have to look at your life and go, I gave it my all. Mm-hmm. And I was myself in the process. Mm-hmm. And in this industry, it's easy to lose yourself because it's, again, back to the perceptions. Well, the industry likes this. My agent wants that. Oh, this mm-hmm. casting director prefers this. Oh, this coach likes that. And let's go back to coaching because I, I want to make sure that everybody knows the incredible value that you add. I know that I've taken coaching with a, a variety of different people. And what I find is that it can be very much of in-the-box approach. Mm to analyzing script, to finding the character. And for me, it became very heady, very heady. Mm -hmm. And it wasn't working. And plugging into casting director's classes and getting the, wow, I don't have anything to tell you. That was great. And you walk away and you think, well, then, you know, where's the call? (laughs) Why haven't you contacted my agent? And then I got to the point where I went, okay, something's not working. And maybe it's me, maybe it's an internal thing, maybe it's a belief system, which is a big part of mm-hmm. what we attract, mm-hmm. or maybe it's the fact that you're using other people's tools. Right. Yeah. Right? Yeah. What I have found in the few times that we've worked together, which I know we'll have more, um, is that I love that you would will take a talent to, to just say, just go, go, go as far as you can go with it. Mm-hmm. And let's just go big, just give it all, do see what happens. Mm-hmm. And which is another way of saying it, do it your way. You know? yeah, yeah, <laughs> and then we're going to come back and we're going to do it my way. But it's, it is like that in the theater too, when you go so far mm-hmm. off of what to go big. In other words, yeah. let's just go big. Yeah. Whatever that means. Yeah. Whatever that might mean. And then you start to hone it in. And I love that about you as a coach. What what is some of your favorite things to do? Like when you work with, with, uh, your, with your clients, do you yeah. have a certain genre of work that you like to work on or do you find yourself constantly being, yeah, what is your favorite or do you have a favorite? Okay. So great question. Um, I don't necessarily have a favorite genre, but there is one thing that, uh, that I always come back to, uh, my, and this is, as you said, Suzanne, I'm not, I'm not taking I'm not coming up with anything new on my own, but I do go through and I do believe what similar to what you said that like so much that is taught in acting these days 
especially to quote unquote beginners or people who are just getting in, ends up being this homework. It ends up being academic. And a lot of the words that are passed on from Stanislavski, especially, you know, from like those anyone, anyone in the Stanislavski modality, which is a lot, a lot, a lot, a lot, a lot of people. Yeah. Um, there are certain words that just tend to lose value. And I'll say one right now that's raise the stakes. People raise the stakes all the time. And if you were working with the group theater, if you were on stage, if you were surrounded by people who are all exploring the Stanislavski Stanislavski idea together, when one person says, Suzanne, raise the stakes. Sorry, this got really loud. (laughs) (laughs) It's okay. Volume control on my end. (laughs) I heard my echo on your end. So I'm not going to go um, but <laughs> when that happens, everyone in the room goes, oh, right. Raise the stakes means this and this and this and this and this and this and this because we've been exploring this phrase for the past six months, right? right. We, I know that it's a connection to relationship. I know that it changes my environment. I know that I need to bring it back into my spine. I know that whatever, it, it's not just the text. It's my whole physical being. So when raise the stakes happens, blah, blah, blah. But these days it turns into a little catchphrase of people being like, ah, it just seemed kind of safe. You need to raise the stakes. And it doesn't mean anything. It doesn't mean anything because they they were never taught it. So raise the stakes will mean be more angry, be be angrier, be more intense. Yeah. Yeah. Be more intense. They They start to focus on the emotion of it, which emotion is not planable. You can't plan emotion. And Mm -hmm. I do this. I, I can prove it to you. Try to tickle yourself right now and you can't do it. Uh, laughing and being surprised is an emotion. Emotion happens when the brain is surprised and the brain reacts either by being uh, uh, happy and joyful or by angry and frustrated or by guilty and embarrassed or by uh, horny and lustful. You will be surprised by an emotional response, but Mm -hmm. it's because we were interrupted in an activity. Okay. So, That all goes back to me saying now, when I am coaching folks, I am finding my own ways of saying things, but it's because I'm allowing people to see it from a new perspective. Mm -hmm. And one thing that I like to focus on, and I'm finally coming back to your question, is one of my biggest things is I like to challenge people to make it worse. Make it worse. Whatever that means for you. And I'll give you a a quick little example here, right? Yeah, that'd be great. This This seems so, this seems so like, I don't know what the word, like, surface level, right? Make it worse. Of course, it's, it's drama. Of course, we make it worse. But consider this. Um, in the script, it says that you're running late for the bus. You're running late for the bus. You got to get to work. Okay, mm-hmm. great. A lot of people are going to approach that and be like, okay, sh- I'm running late for the bus. I know. Okay, uh, I got stuff to do. I'm frenetic. I'm, I'm, uh, I'm my, my life is drifting away. Like I can feel the acting starting to come in already, mm-hmm. right? I'm running mm-hmm. late for the bus. How do I portray that? If we take that and make it worse for ourselves, meaning you are running late for the bus. This is the third time this week that you've been late to work and your boss gave you an ultimatum on Tuesday when you left work and said, if you're late one more time, I'm going to have to fire you. And you know that this job is your salary. It is also your 401k. It is also your health benefits and your son has uh, has a, a, a health need. And so if you are late for this bus right now, you are jeopardizing your son's life until you get another job. So I'm listening to this and um, it's, and just listening to it, there is a an awakening, right? 
right at right at the cell level, like, ooh, I've felt this before. Not that I felt that experience, mm-hmm. but the level of fear, mm-hmm. the level of um concern, panic mm-hmm. that all was already starting to awaken in me. But now as an actor, it's like, well, how do I have that but keep it under control? Mm-hmm. Right? So it's like it runs just below the surface. Yeah. Otherwise, it can get into campy acting, which is, oh my God, oh my God, I got to get there because what about this? What about that? But right. when you have that level of intensity, even in real life, it doesn't show yeah. because you're going to do everything you can to not let the world see that you're freaking losing it. Yeah. It's the same yeah. thing as you're drunk and you have to do a drinking scene. You don't right. play you're drunk, drunk. No. you play controlled drunk. Yeah. 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 <laughs> yeah. Yeah, you and over-enunciate your words oh, and slow. make sure that people can hear you. Yeah, and you just slow yeah. down and you get yeah. really emotional. <laughs> uh, so this brings me back to, and yes, I agree that yeah. it should, it should, when we find those things, it starts to, it starts to change your breath. It starts to change your spine and it takes it out of the brain. The brain wants to protect us from trauma. That's mm-hmm. the brain's job. The brain's mm-hmm. job is to keep us alive. And it protects us. It doesn't want us to be surprised. It doesn't want us to uh, to encounter a bear in the woods. It doesn't want us to be embarrassed in front of our peers. It wants us to stay safe. Mm-hmm. And so, and yet, so many of these academic approaches, or this very script heavy, like write down your objective and circle and mark your beats and all that other stuff. I could go off on a whole other tangent mm-hmm. about why. And this is, y'all, this is me coming from a theatrical background. Like, I do write on my script when I'm doing theater. But for a film and TV actor, I have uh, reason to believe that writing on a page is detrimental to a film and TV actor because the rehearsal process is so much shorter. It's so much more compact. And really, when you're in theater, the writing on the page is a journal of what you've already discovered. Mm -hmm. You get on your feet. You explore with people. You've got the director there. You've got this rehearsal around this one scene. You work it for 90 minutes. And then when you leave, you mark on the page as a journal so that when you come back in one week, Mm -hmm. you'll be able to pick up where you left off as opposed to having to refine, refine stuff. And yet it's turned into this idea of like, as a film and TV actor, you start doing that right away. And... I get it. There is a reason that it can be beneficial. I'm not saying this is me being a rebel, right? But I'm stepping out in front of the yellow line right now. And I'm saying there is also reason to think that writing on the page can be harmful for the actor because it's putting more power and more control back into the brain. Mm -hmm. And ultimately, you have to have this off the page in 24 hours. You have to have this off the page in 48 hours. You have a turnaround of no more than 72 hours. And then once you get to set, you're going to continue every take as a new rehearsal. You're going to continue exploring stuff. You're not going to go back to the script and keep looking at mm-hmm. it, right? You're, gonna, you're finding new stuff in real time. And I, I do believe that for the film and TV actor, it's not meant to live on the page, right? If right. it were, it would be a book. And whatever is in this one little scene right here would be a chapter in a book and people would fill that in you know, they'd read it for 20 minutes and they'd fill it in with their own imagination and be beautiful. And they'd be able to provide far more imagination than I ever could as an actor. You know, it's so, yeah, you, 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 (laughs) maybe I'm a bit of a rebel when I get scenes. I, 
I don't, I feel obligated to have to write on them, but I don't want to. I just read it and read it and then I read it and then I start to feel, you know, who is she? Mm -hmm. Why is she here? Why Mm -hmm. is she having this conversation? What does she want out of it? You know, just, and not even what is your objective? And and, and I get it. All of those are important. But if I do that as heady as I already am by nature, Mm -hmm. oh, it takes me out of my instincts completely. Mm And then going into, and then of course, then there's the technical part, right? When you go to do your self-tape, you want to make sure that you still, um, and I think this is what makes it hard right now for, for talent too, is like, we, we're no longer just actors. We're, we're directors, we're cinematographers, we're directors, mm-hmm. we're lighting, we're grip, we're mm-hmm. All everything. Editor. Yep. Ev- editor, exactly. And, uh, you know, you're, your whole administrative assistant, you're everything. Mm-hmm. And so let's talk a little bit about the self-tape world now. Okay. Because you have an amazing studio that I want everybody out there to know called Book From Tape. And I highly, highly recommend that uh, all of you out there that are listening, you go to bookfromtape.com, correct? Mm-hmm. And uh, and also we're going to put in the podcast information. We're going to put links to your Instagram and uh, everything else that you, you give me as well and Book From Tape. Oh. And Jordan is and his team, all of them are masters of helping you provide the best tape so that you don't have to be overwhelmed and consumed so that you can focus on the craft and focus on the art. So what do you feel? And and I think that's what hinders, right? So Mm -hmm. I was going to ask you the question, but I think that's what really hinders a lot of actors from being able to be, I cannot, let me speak for myself. Yeah. When I do get something and it's a, it's a bigger project and, um, I have to admit when they're bigger, I tend to be more invested in it than when it's something small. I tend to live in my head so much because I am busy looking at my monitor, you know, making sure, cause I can see myself in camera, making sure I stay in the frame. I'm not in character. Mm-hmm. I'm, I'm in my head cause I'm watching everything. Mm-hmm. Okay. Give us some really amazing nuggets of information. Okay. So this is where this is full circle coming back to that conversation about like, where do you break rules? Let's talk about the self-tape, right? There are so many inherent and the largest quotations in the world around rules with self-tape. First and foremost being that we have to live inside this perfect little rectangle right here, right? And we, and this is coming back to, there are times when knowledge is passed on to us in certain ways that ultimately does not truly support us in our craft. Such as if, if you have ever received feedback from an agent or a coach or another actor or a director or somebody else of, Hey, in your self tape, you're moving around too much. Just, just plant yourself, right? Stay grounded. That's one thing. Or, Hey, your eyes were darting around. Just choose, just make sure you stay with your eyeline, keep it consistent. Or, um, hey, you left your frame, your framing was off, you know, that was distracting. Or there was something in the background, or you were exhaling your breath, blah, 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 okay? Mm. All of these things are right. Again, they're not trying to screw you over. They're looking to help you, but they are not putting putting these terms into actor-friendly language. Right. If they notice that you're shuffling your feet and you're moving around, then yeah, you were not grounded in that moment. But that also doesn't mean the next time you plant your feet and you stand on your mark and you're not allowed to move. That's also not true. The extremes of this are not true, right? Right. You're allowed that if you were on set, you would have a professional camera person and they would follow your physicality everywhere you go. And so 
the only thing that they're referencing right now is that the the tripod is stationary, so our world kind of have to has to you know be within what the tripod is seeing, what the camera is seeing. So great. But now here's what I come back to as an actor. I come back to these are called poker tells for me. Okay. Anytime that your eyes are darting, anytime that you look off to the side whenever you're trying to think of something, anytime you exhale your breath, anytime you shuffle your feet or slap your thighs or or uh, fidget or uh, what are some other good ones? Do like hold weird mouth tension or something. There are things that humans do when we're lying. And if you find yourself doing that in that moment, it's not because you're being a bad actor or that you need to take something away. It's because your brain, this epicenter of your body that's trying to get you to stay safe is covering up certain moments when it's lying. Mm, Okay. Interesting. So think about this, like, and I'll use an example of many actors, exhale their breath or might say something and then let out a little laugh on some words as they keep going, right? Both of those are the brain apologizing for something. And here's how I know it. It's because socially we do not do that unless we're apologizing for something. Suzanne, if you came up to me right now and you said, hey, Jordan, how was your brother's wedding? And I went, it was good. Deep down, (laughs) you just went, oh my God, what happened to Jordan's brother's wedding? Mm-hmm. Right? Like, what, why couldn't he just, why didn't you just jump right in and be like, oh my God, it was beautiful. The bride was lovely. Uh, my brother was fantastic. Uh, we had this great dance party afterwards. We stayed in the chalet and like the mountains. It was so cool. Just the fact that I couldn't jump right into that and I had to exhale my breath lets both of us know that I need more time to figure out what I'm going to say. And this makes its way into the acting world as well, that we start to provide that little social lubricant in times when we don't understand a moment. So now the agent has just given you some real information. The director has just given you some real information. But all they did was they said, hey, your brain doesn't understand that moment. Can you go back and revisit that moment? There's something that you missed. There's a clue hidden there that you don't understand. That's it. It's not your fault. You just, there's something that you missed. There's something there. We just have to lift up another rock and go, oh my God, it was here the whole time. Right. Um, so this, but all of this coming back to rules, rules, rules. That's just one example of there are lots of times when people put rules on us and say, don't do this. Don't do this. Don't do this. You have to do this. I can prove (laughs) as an actor and as a coach, I can prove with, with video proof that all of those rules can be broken to your benefit, you have to know what those rules are in order to be able to in order to be able to break them. And again, you're not just breaking them to be an asshole. You're breaking them because for this audition, I need to do this. This is what is right. Um, but oftentimes, we hear those rules and we think, nope, okay, I'm going to throw away all of my other choices. I'm not allowed to do anything other than this. And that happens a lot through the technique of this, through the training, all the way back to script analysis. There are certain ways that people say, first, you have to write your super objective up at the top of the page. Next, you go through and you have to mark your trigger words. Then you have to go through and put a slash here for a beat, right? And we find this academic homework approach that ultimately what I want to encourage as a coach is to Embrace your curiosity. What is next? When you are reading, Suzanne, when you're reading through a script and you say, I don't write on it first, I go through and I read it three times, five times. And then that starts to spark my curiosity. I go, mm-hmm. oh my gosh, I didn't realize I say this one word three times in the script. Exactly. Oh, there's something there. Okay. Mm-hmm. Now, and here's, this is probably, I know we 
I don't want to bore people into, you know, an hour of listening to me jabber about this. But here's here's the thing that encapsulates all of this for me. So I said the phrase, make it worse. I said the phrase of like, you know, uh, don't let rules hinder impulse, all of that other stuff, right? The I, 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 I don't really call it script analysis. Um, in college, uh, I had a teacher who called it Sherlock Holmesing the script. And she uh, would talk about how, you know, you're, you're, some people say your job is to be a detective. And she went one step further. And she's like, no, no, no. Your job is not to be a detective. Your job is to be Sherlock Holmes. Your job is to, after three detectives have already cased out the joint, Sherlock Holmes walks in and solves not only this crime, but the next event in this string of crimes by walking into the room and looking around for about 30 seconds. And he doesn't do that because he's using all of the clues that everyone else saw. He's doing it by finding all of the clues that no one else saw. And so I have taken that and I think of it as conspiracy theories. Our job as actors is to, and this is, this is where everyone's going like, oh God, what's going on now? Who's this guy? Cons- I, I'm not a conspiracy theorist in life. I, but if you walk up to someone who believes the earth is flat, there is it's not, not. It's not? Oh, well, there's no way to prove it. That's the thing. <laughs> there is no uh, way to prove it. There's, there's a meme out there right now that says if the world was really flat yeah. and it had a cat pushing like a coffee cup over the edge of the earth. Yeah. It's like <laughs> if the world was flat, we would all have fallen off because yeah. the cats would knock us off. The anyway, sorry, go ahead. <laughs> but that's the thing. With the conspiracy theory, I can't prove, I can't provide any scientist or uh, cartographer or astronaut or meteorologist that could talk to someone who believes that the earth is flat where that person couldn't find their own arguments back. Okay. Look at this as an actor. Now, when we approach a script and we find those clues that prove to us that this world is true. And I'm not, you're not just going out there and being like, Oh, well, obviously we're all ghosts because you know, I think we're ghosts. No, that's you being an idiot and trying to break rules without having justification to break rules. Mm -hmm. But if you find the language of in the script, it says, well, how are we going to get out of here? And then it also says, I'm alone. And then it also says, blah, blah, blah. And you take these things that are seemingly just random little words that are hidden about the script and you triangulate those hidden clues and they allow you to walk away going, oh my gosh, we are insert conspiracy theory here. And you can go as far as you want. You can go into Mm -hmm. like, oh my God, we're all actually living in the matrix and we're on a Martian colony waiting to repopulate humanity uh, and our cerebral cortexes are being kept alive, even though uh, we as humans don't have this awareness, whatever, I don't care what it is. If you can pinpoint that in the script using the words that are there for you Mm -hmm. and prove that to yourself, there is no one that can disprove that. And that is going to continue to allow you to make the choices that you need to make. It's going to, like you talked about before, giving that deeper understanding of something. You don't have to push it anymore. It's true. Mm -hmm. And when these people open their eyes, they will see this whole truth is here. So you can just live in that reality. And it... Once you get to set as well, you might work with a director who shows up and says, change this, change this, change this, change this. That can sometimes with an actor make put you back on your heels and go, oh, God, oh, I have to remove 50 percent of what I was doing because the director just gave me 50 percent more. 
that's not going to serve either you or the director because the director brought you there because they trust you to tell the story. Mm-hmm. You are the person to tell the story and they right. loved your audition and they want you to be here. They're not looking to take away what you're bringing. They're looking to add on. And right. so if they keep saying that, and if you have this conspiracy theory, you're going to be able to take everything that you're seeing and justify it within that conspiracy theory and go, Oh my God, of course, because the lunar eclipse is about to happen. And when that happens, the, the, whatever happened, you know, the, the, the gravity changes and all of our cortexes are going to get heavier, which means we're going to have to take more power, which blah, 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 whatever you can fix it in the moment, but it continues to get absorbed and allows you to continue to evolve and collaborate while still being true to your story that you want to bring to it. I know that sounds ridiculous. But... No, I don't think it does. Okay. <laughs> I, mean, come on. I mean, I don't think it sounds ridiculous. You're like preaching to the choir here. Okay, good. I, okay. I, yeah, no, no, I, I love it. I love it. I think that to be a to be great at, I would say to be a great actor, because that's still opinion, right? But to be great at your ability to express a script is a lot about the what is your authenticity? Who are you mm. in the text? And what... Where are you in the text and where is the text in you? Uh-huh. And and that's why I, I tend to not want to go into the 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 books that have the toolbox of all the 20 different things you need to do with your script. And it gets so much in your head. What I love is I read it, I put it on my phone, I listen to it as I go up my day and I, I hear the nuances of the words and it's like, ooh, I didn't, oh yeah, did the character just say that? Oh, why did, why did I say that? Yeah. Oh, and then you start just living with it. Not always so easy when you do have the 24-hour turnaround and you've got to set up, you know, a tape, you've got to set up a reader and, and all of that good stuff. And so let's talk a bit about that and then we'll we'll bring it to a close. Because uh-huh. I want I want people to recognize that they can hire you and your studio and your staff to coach them through their auditions, mm-hmm. whether it is preparing for, because you coached me through auditions and then I did my self-tape on my own. Right. You've been coached me and then you've read for me mm-hmm. with some of my, as well. Yeah. Um, your schedule is tight because you are booking and I believe you're getting ready to go off to a big project? Oh, yes. I'm working on it. I just got cast as a lead in the film, so that's going to be awesome. And you can't say what it is, right? Uh, It's a SAG after project. I can tell you the title. It's called um, uh, Blinds Wide Shut. Or Blind... No, I want to say... No, I'm thinking of Eyes Wide Shut. I think it's Blinds Wide Open. But anyway, yeah, it's a... a, a, It'll be fun. Nice. Um, But also at the time of recording this, we're we're about to get into the holidays and things get dicey as well, you know. But for the most part, I I have a a decent amount of (laughs) of availability. Plus, I have a whole team that helps sneak people in, even when it says that I'm not available. They're like, no, 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 we'll... We'll move some yeah. yeah, you have to have the inside loop, you yeah. know, <laughs> on my phone. I got them on text, <laughs> but it, but it doesn't. I'm just I'm just waiting for the next op- opportunity to come through so I can I can work with you again. Um, but you have a lot. You have a really strong staff too. Yeah, so we have a great staff. So yeah, as far as auditions, we we are a nonstop shop. We're called Book from Tape or one stop shop. We have we're called Book from Tape because our goal is to empower actors with all of the tools they need to book from your audition tape. And so this is why we explore it this way. If you were in the room and which self tapes, you know, I'm in the southeast, self tapes have been pretty industry standard for the past 10 plus years. Um during the the pandemic, COVID-19 pandemic, uh places like Los Angeles 
had quite a big learning curve as far as self tapes because so many of their castings were in person. So that's a lot of actors had to be like, Oh my God, I don't even know how to, how do I like this? What do I have to worry about? Right. But I'm at the point where I'm like, yes, okay, we've got our standards. We know what the ideal setup is supposed to be and let's get you there so that there aren't any other distractions. But now as an actor, let's get back to challenging how, what are those choices that you can make in your self tape mm-hmm. that would have just as much of an impact as though you were in the room, you know? Right. Um, and they do exist and they can happen. And we book people all the time from self tapes. And so we, uh, we coach, we provide taping services. Uh, we take headshots for people. We, uh, used to, we're not doing it anymore, but we have edited reels and we have designed websites and we have overhauled resumes and stuff like that. Um, and then we also have masters of self-taping, which is my online course that you just talked about. Thank you. I did. I um, did. I want to plug that too, before we close out for but sure. Our, our most community is at, at the time of this recording, we have 160 I think you you were 159. We just got another one today. So we've got 160 people in the community, all working actors who are all looking to embrace their audition technique and say, mm-hmm. I, I can be true to myself and I can book stuff and I can use these tools to my benefit as a way of making a lasting impact. Um, and then another great thing about the community that you'll find soon is that we have mm-hmm. Zoom meetings twice a week. And yeah. Zoom meetings are opportunities for everybody to get together. And we talk about the course. We talk about technique and stuff. But then we also talk about community. And it's a chance for people to be like, y'all, I just had this weird thing happen. Has anyone else gone through this? And everyone goes, yes. <laughs> yeah. It's really important for actors, talent, creatives, writers, independent filmmakers, producers, executive producers, grip, craft services, wardrobe, makeup. I mean, the list goes on. There isn't one person in the industry that doesn't face difficulties, challenges, mm-hmm. uh, not working, mm-hmm. um, and, and needing community. Mm-hmm. And, and yeah, definitely the pandemic separated people so much. Yeah. Um, that it's, it's imperative. And I, I created this podcast because I want everybody who is a creative Mm -hmm. to recognize that you can zigzag in this industry. You can find different ways, new ways, uh, new communities. I was plugged into some other communities that have now shifted. And I thought to myself, I need to be in my own backyard. Mm Mm-hmm. And, and be with community in my own backyard. Now, granted, you're not in my backyard, <laughs> but you're two hours away. You're in my son's backyard, as a yeah, matter of fact. Yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. So, but it's important to, to build that because there's going to be times where you're going to need that support and yeah. there's times where people will need your support. Yeah. And what you have created with Book From Tape and and I can't wait to meet you in person one of these days. You're probably like 10 feet tall because I just I admire you so much. I'm you are? Okay. I'm massive, yeah. Yeah, I'm about 10 feet wide. <laughs> Good. We'll, just, yeah. we'll, we'll spoon or something. We'll, like, we'll figure it out. We'll, we'll, I'll lay down on the ground. You, I don't know. We'll it's whatever. Yeah. Okay, the, yeah, it's a visual that the audience is going to be like, what the fuck are they talking about? <laughs> <laughs> um, you, you know, I can't wait to have you back on again. Yeah, I'm excited. Uh, and you know, I have. I kept having to censor myself of being like, I can't go into that because that's going to go on for another hour. So yeah, we'll have to. Uh, yeah, I know, I know. I but you know what'd be really cool is to be able to maybe do another one where we could get a few of the people on your team. Yeah, and yeah. and just do a. Then it would it would probably have to do like five episodes out of one, but <laughs> to clip it out five times. Yeah, you're such a joy to talk to. And you are so inspiring and there's so much more about you that I would love to share with other people, but we'll have to do that on another call. I just, 
I'm honored that you're here. I'm so grateful that you're here. And so all of our listeners and anybody watching as well, please reach out to Jordan Woods Robinson, hyphenated Woods Robinson, <laughs> and, and get to know this man and hire his team. Don't do this business alone. Don't feel like you have to do it alone. And don't feel like you have to always do it the way you've always been doing it. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. It's that saying that you keep doing the same thing over and over again and expect different results. Mm-hmm. That's insanity. That's insanity. And, and we don't... We, we don't want that. What we start our most meeting with every week is we celebrate our fails. Our fails. So everyone, mm-hmm. the first thing we share is everyone logs in and goes, I, I got, you know, I wasn't prepared for this audition uh, because I prioritized this, this, and this. And we go, yep, mm-hmm. that sucks. Another person might be like, uh, I forgot to water my plants and they all died. You know, mm-hmm. I, I've been emailing agents for the past three months and haven't heard anything and just realized it was all going to spam. And now I've, oh. everyone. That, <laughs> that happened, right? Yeah. And yeah. everyone goes, Oh my God, I'm so sorry that happened. We learn from failure. And when we get into these places of safety and feeling like the structure is going to take care of us and not making decisions because we're like, Oh, I can't do that. That's going to no fail. Be ready to fail. You know, like it, it's something that gets ingrained in us. Once we get into like middle school that we have these social barriers where we're not allowed to fail. But as you know, one of the hardest things of being an actor and being an acting coach is getting back to that childhood curiosity and getting back to those times when you see the world with fresh eyes and when you can put any perspective on something mm-hmm. that you need. And you're going to get there when you start to embrace that daily vulnerability of being true to who you are, not only in your acting world, but like you're saying, like, how do you recharge? How do you give back? How do you feel like, uh, feel, feel, how do you feel better about yourself? How do you keep mm-hmm. that muscle alive? That is going to directly serve your acting. And so is this idea of failure in your life and embracing failure and saying like, good, okay, then I have just learned something and I am going to be a more evolved person next time because of it. So keep pushing forward, keep doing that. Keep pushing. And also I want to add one more thing before we close too, is that recognize every audition is a win. Mm-hmm. The fact that you got an audition was a win. When I saw my numbers and then I saw what my booking ratio was, I was like, oh, you suck. What did you do wrong? Go back and look at all those. Oh, no, don't do it. What did, oh, you know, I just went down that spiral. Then I stopped and I said, how many people can say they've had that many opportunities? Yeah, That's a massive win. When you get the call that you have an audition, you've won. Yeah. Something was aligned in the universe that said, this is for you. Yeah. So use the opportunity to grow, to evolve, to try something new, to test it out. You're not there to book it. You're there to be in the moment. Yeah, yeah. The booking is out of your hands. Yeah. Out of your hands. So Jordan, thank you so much for being here, Mr. Book From Tape Master. Anybody, please plug into his Master of Self Tape program as well. I'm so excited to dig into it and and reset my foundation and, and reset my goals going forward. And uh, I hope you come back and I guess again in the future. Yeah. Thank you, Suzanne. Bye, All everyone. Right, take care. Bye, everybody. Well, that's it for today. Thank you so much for joining us for this episode. I hope you got a lot out of it. I want you to walk away with this. You are a creative genius. Go out and create magic.